Sunday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Surprisingly large amount of news to get to. And then we also have to get into another awesome Reddit mailbag. Some great questions coming up. Thank you so much, everyone, who contributed to that. We're really looking forward to getting to those. We're sponsored today by Policy Genius and by Blue Apron. You can go to blueapron.com slash capspace and get your first three meals free. All right, what we got here for news to start off with, Danny? Well, so do you want to start with the new Lakers? I I don't want to call it drama, but the new Lakers like kind of stuff. Yeah, so for those who don't recall, uh, Jeannie Buss went into court a couple of weeks ago claiming that uh, accurately, it would appear that her brothers Jim and Johnny attempted to have a board of directors voted in that did not include her, and that therefore, because the trust says you must be on the board of directors to be the controlling owner, that would be a way to oust her. They claim that there is nothing untoward about that, and now in a recent court filing. They apparently have indicated that they are willing to vote her on to the board of directors for at least the next year. Jeannie, in court papers, has said she is willing to eschew the trial, which is set for May 15th, I believe, on these trust issues. Uh, And I'm not a trust lawyer, but basically when you're all involved in a trust together, you have what's called fiduciary duties to one another to try to implement the terms of the trust and to give your best efforts in doing that. And so uh, one of the causes of action I'm sure Jeannie has against them is breach of fiduciary duty. What she has said is, we'll let the trial go if you're willing to say that you will make Jeannie the controlling owner for life and that they have a fiduciary to do that duty to do that anyway so if i'm in jim and johnny's shoes here obviously they don't want her to be the controlling owner that's why these shenanigans started in the first place if i'm their attorney just putting my lawyer hat on from back when, when i used to negotiate settlements i see no reason to agree to that if i were them because that's basically the absolute worst thing that could happen to you at a trial so even if you only have like a five or ten percent chance of winning i mean this trial it's not going to be too expensive probably they have the money to to pay their lawyers to go through with it if this is what they really want to happen if you only have a five percent or ten percent chance of winning you might as well just go through with the trial anyway there's not really much downside at least that i'm aware of maybe i would see some if i were close to the situation so you might as well just let let it play out and then if that's the only way she's going to settle like you're not getting anything out of that settlement so if that's going to be her position i wouldn't expect that there would be a settlement uh prior to trial um because they have nothing to gain out of settling other than just the money from the litigation which given their deep pockets is probably not a huge For people who are into other sports, there's an analogy here with baseball arbitration where when one side hasn't had because like basically each side submits an offer for baseball arbitration, then the the arbitrator has to pick one of the two numbers unless they settle. And if one side picks a number that's a little bit too far out, the other side generally doesn't settle because they feel like that outcome isn't as realistic or isn't going to happen. So you're like, we might as well just play it the way it is. Well, and I'm not saying that this is bad strategy for Jeannie because what most people seem to think uh, about these trust documents is that basically they do have her uh, the trust does have a duty to make reasonable efforts to install her as the controlling owner but there might be some room for interpretation there it could be well hey we installed her as the controlling owner it doesn't say we have to keep her as the controlling owner you know, i mean that's kind of a bs argument but you know hey maybe who knows maybe maybe the judge would interpret it that way uh pretty small chance of it but you know nothing is a hundred percent 
in litigation i mean at least in this case there's no jury involved so there's a little bit less risk uh this would, would be a bench trial but it, i'm at least i'm pretty sure it would be i'm not entirely sure that but uh, pretty sure um so yeah boy the, the lawyer skills are getting a little rusty here uh and i don't know any, that much about trust anyway but my point would be i i wouldn't see a reason for jim or johnny to, to settle um why don't we move on here sure disappointing out of minnesota that nemanja bielitsa who had really worked himself and tibbs had given him a larger role was doing well with it is out for the rest of the year with a left foot injury yeah odd that we don't have a more specific description of it than that he got an mri and that revealed the injury so that would indicate to me it's some sort of a sprained foot uh, but again we don't know a shame for the wolves although this will help them in in the tankathon they had been playing better with Bielitsa. We had noted in the last 15 and 60 that uh, he and Tom's together had a very nice net rating since February 1st together and now we'll see this will be a good boon for Shabazz Muhammad who hopefully will get more time at the four as he goes into restricted free agency and uh but perhaps not as good for the team because they didn't have more of a chance to show Tom Thibodeau how well they can play with Carl Towns at center and at somebody you can shoot at the four next to him they'll have to use Muhammad if they want to get the to get those minutes but we'll see how it actually affects their draft pick you know if they if it knocks them down a few spots that could help but they're you know they're probably still going to be looking for a power forward of the future we'll talk about that we'll talk about what they're looking at a little bit during the red during the reddit mailbag but let's move on interesting that uh the same it's the same reporter right that had or the same he's a radio guy that had the Bledsoe thing i think first talked to him and he said he didn't want to be shut down yeah and there's a more noise out of that too from uh, i think doug haller uh of uh the arizona star saying basically that there has been some friction management and ownership apparently adamant that they wanted Bledsoe to be shut down earl watson basically took a little bit of a stab in the media of saying you know it wasn't his decision he's made a couple of odd pronouncements in that regard um so far and yeah uh, no player is going to want to just get shut down for the season especially someone like Bledsoe and we'll see of course whether they now draft his replacement uh, with this pick that's probably going to be a little bit better since he's not playing uh and then Knight we noted that he basically said he wasn't going to play due to quote-unquote back spasms after he'd been kind of involuntarily shut down since the all-star break and now that they wanted him to play a little bit they really only have Tyler Eulis and Ronnie Price as point guards on the roster and now Knight in fact will be shut down for the rest of the season uh, per Earl Watson so the Lakers and Suns uh, both really uh, this is probably the most blatant late season tanking uh, that I can recall in quite some time and while I railed against the evils of the protected pick causing the Lakers to do it the Suns they just have the normal league incentives to be doing this. Well a point that you brought up I think you brought this up on twitter is that baseball teams do a form of tanking all the time you know basically the basically the idea that emphasizing young players development is some it is a of, of use to teams that are bad anyway and so you're never going to clear that out entirely and it, you can help it you know you can reduce the incentives but you're never going to eliminate them 
Yeah, or even, uh, frankly, if you have veteran players, why risk them getting injured in meaningless games as well? Right. You know, and, Especially and, and, somebody and like Bledsoe, who they might trade. Like, whether his value is, yeah. whether that player's value is you keeping them or you actually getting future assets for them, either way, it makes sense. Yeah, and, and he, of course, has that injury history. We'll talk a little bit more about the anti potential anti-taking initiatives in the mailbag. We got some more news to get to, but first, this from Policy Genius. I know a lot of my listeners are at the point now where maybe you're a couple of years out of college, you've reached financial stability perhaps with with your job, but you may not have life insurance yet. And if you don't, why not? Is it too expensive, too much of a hassle? If you didn't have life insurance, uh, what would happen financially? Maybe if you have a, a young family or you're planning on supporting your parents when you're older, life insurance is a good idea to protect the ones around you. And the place you can go for the best prices on the best policy with the best service is PolicyGenius.com, the best online life insurance marketplace. You can get the most accurate quotes from the top A-rated life insurance companies. They place over $5 billion in life insurance for people like our listeners. It is a very simple, user-friendly interface that lets you shop and compare all the top-rated life insurance companies and give you the best option, bring them all together in one place. That's something that a lot of our sponsors are doing to give you some added value, and that's what Policy Genius is doing in the life insurance space. Their licensed customer service team will help you find the best policy at the best price. You could check out some of their other insurance offerings as well like health insurance or pet insurance so you can go to policygenius.com today and save over 40 percent off other prices for life insurance when life insurers compete for your business that's how you save money at policygenius p-o-l-i-c-y-g-e-n-i-u-s.com zero jargon zero sales pressure and zero hassle life insurance made easy at policygenius.com Com. Okay, what's next? Let's do a couple signings. So, Briante Weber signed for the rest of this year and next year with the Hornets. We don't know the guarantees on it, whether it's non-guaranteed or staggers or something like that, but a nice signing for the Hornets. Definitely a player who I thought deserved that kind of contract and got it with a team that has a needed backup one. Yeah, you'd imagine there'll be some kind of non-guarantees. The guaranteed dates on those sorts of contracts, what you can negotiate are always interesting. Is it going to be before free agency begins so that you can get back out onto the market for a player like Weber that doesn't matter as much he's going to be signing later on in the process a, a lot of times some of these fringier guys uh you know is it going to be something like August 1st which is, makes it really tough if you get dropped then that's a lot more management friendly is it going to be a full guarantee is it going to be a partial guarantee until he makes the roster uh and then of course the league-wide guarantee date is that January 10th, uh, in reality, a couple of days before that, because you have to clear waivers uh, to avoid having your salary guaranteed. So that's the latest you can possibly guarantee, and usually the earliest will be on these, you know, a few days before free agency begins. So that's kind of the range of negotiation. And for contracts like that, that that's where that's where agents make their money with some of these players like Briante Weber, who, you know, don't have the most leverage, but have uh, at least some. Um, Jarrell Eddy signed a 10-day with the Suns. I guess we should have done that in the Suns section. He's a shooter. They're going to try and take a look at him, but uh, already into his mid-20s, he'd been playing with the, the Windy City Bulls, but uh, maybe someone who can uh, stick in the NBA. It's just, it's tough for these kind of designated shooter guys when you come in on a 10-day because, you know, they're really just, a lot of times it's luck of the draw of whether you happen to make shots over that three-game sample that's going to uh, lead to you either staying or not staying. 
Also, Jordan Crawford signed a similar two-year deal to Briante Weber. Again, we don't know the guarantees in the structure with the New Orleans Pelicans where he has played well. So that's it's exciting to see somebody who's kind of been bouncing around outside of the league for a few years get at least that kind of an opportunity. It wouldn't shock me if Crawford actually has some guarantees that are pretty significant for next year. He might even be fully guaranteed for next year. It wouldn't shock me because, uh, and, and it has to be a minimum deal though. Right. Uh, oh no, actually that's not true. They have the, they have their room they could have given him part of that if they wanted to uh but i'm sure it's because when agents leak these news to reporters they have an incentive to make them sound as good as they possibly can for the one time that you and your client are going to be in the news as a result of a signing so if it were anything other than a minimum deal i'm sure that would have been leaked and uh so i'm guessing it will be a minimum deal but i i wouldn't shock me if that were almost fully guaranteed if not fully guaranteed because he was pretty good in china this year he could always go back there and make pretty good money so if he's going to shoo that opportunity uh maybe it's going to be uh, uh and then in, in other pels news john reed and the sporting news have both reported that Alvin Gentry is expected to at least show some signs of progress, which they actually have been playing better lately uh, with the Pels if he wants to keep his job. Worth noting that with Cousins on the floor since they've gotten in, negative 9.4 net rating, scoring only 92 points per 100 possessions. Uh, but a lot of that is really bad three-point luck. It's not his Cousins' fault that they're shooting 29% on threes with him on the floor and 36% with him off, including Solomon Hill going off for a career-high 30 points and six three-pointers on Friday a game that Cousins missed with knee and rib soreness although he's supposed to return on Sunday against the Wolves and in a piece of now former Pelicans news Wayne Selden had a 10-day contract with the Pelicans did not get a second 10-day contract but is signing signed with the Memphis Grizzlies instead yeah and I believe he was in uh, their D-League system so that makes sense and I mean Selden actually played 15 minutes in the three games that he was a pelican i want to say he even started for them just due to their so now the pels still just have really with other than each one more they do not have much at the shooting guard position that's part of why they brought in crawford and i think selden also saw once the crawford news came down that it might be better for him to go to memphis memphis waving tony douglas uh who has now been waved twice uh by the grizz so far this year um with the Jazz, Rodney Hood now has missed a couple of games with knee soreness. You remember he had two hyperextended knees this year that he missed significant time for. And then in the same vein, we have not heard anything about Derek Favors returning. There's, uh, I think his diagnosis was yet another bone bruise for him in his knee. The Jazz pretty tight-lipped on injuries. But, uh, you know, again, we're getting down to the time now where if a guy is still out right now is he going to be able to come back for the playoffs get reintegrated how he's going to look like those questions start to manifest at this point in the year they do and a lot of other kind of playoff playoff teams are looking at injuries as well Millsap had missed the game against Portland with knee tightness where they got their butts kicked in the beginning and made it closer at the end but still lost and then Cleveland was already dealing with Kyrie you know Kyrie sitting was looked like was day-to-day kind of with his knee issue and yeah yeah since when did by the way this is like two guys in the last week that have been the official diagnosis has been knee tightness i've never heard of that before uh for 
a joint. Usually it's like muscle tightness. So I, I don't Injury really innovation. get where, where that's come from, but whatever. So, so Cleveland made the decision to sit because I, I'm my instinct is that Kyrie was going to sit anyway to sit all three of their guys to sit love to sit LeBron yeah, that's and what this- David Griffin said actually and, and he talked to Ramona Shelburne uh, who was at the game last night and he basically said the league got in touch with him and he was like hey you know love was going to sit anyway he's coming back from surgery he's not playing a back-to-back Kyrie just sat out the, la- the last game so we weren't going to just play LeBron and have him be the only guy playing and then the next game uh, you know maybe LeBron sits out and the other guys come back like it makes more sense to just try and win one of those games but that of course was uh the second week in a row that there's just been massive resting for the league's biggest showcase game of the week uh, on abc that Cavs and clippers game to me this one was also a little bit different because their game the next day was against the lakers who are terrible like the, it's a, whereas the warriors game was on the front end and all that sort of stuff i i it's hard to say this is worse because the warriors ones were healthy scratches and these ones at least two-thirds of which were not so yeah. it's a it's a complicated situation but teams we'll, we'll talk about it probably a little bit later but teams are going to make the best decisions for themselves and as david griffin said in that conversation with ramon shelburne his job is to win championships a little bit more on the suns dragon bender originally had a four to six week timetable from the start of february he is now listed as out until at least march 25th uh, with that ankle surgery that's per cbs sports i'm sure they got it from somewhere but they didn't have a link to it so uh sorry if i can't give the credit there uh but there's still really no word of him ramping up his activity or anything like that but it could be happening i just think that like you know nobody cares enough about the suns at this point to report on like whether he's like making progress uh getting back or not uh supposedly some teams are interested in carlos boozer who is uh, According to reports, I haven't actually looked at the stats. Been playing well in the Chinese league. I always thought actually that Boozer got a bit of a raw deal after you'll recall that he was amnestied by the Bulls, the Lakers, for because remember you know they're trying to win every year. Uh, they actually felt like Boozer could help them two years ago. Uh, won the amnesty for him. I think it was like three point two million dollars. And then Boozer, I didn't think played that bad, especially once he was moved into a proper bench role. But just because he was on the Lakers and their role players had all the stink to them couldn't get much of an offer last year but wants to return the problem is that his Chinese team is actually playing really well and uh, might be in the championship and that could actually run past the end of the regular season apparently I mean I don't think Boozer is going to make some difference in the playoffs he's a a couple years older but I still think that you know the last time we saw him he looked like an NBA player still to me a couple quick pieces Miles Plumlee is back on the court but not yet necessarily ready to return he's been out the last game he played in was February 13th with a calf injury and that's part of the reason why we often talk about how calf injuries can be shaky tricky things yeah and and very easy to re-injure Isaiah Thomas he missed the last two Celtics games the Nets and Sixers on Sunday hopes to return for their game Monday uh he has a bone bruise in his right knee does not sound as serious as some of these other ones that you know for example have bothered Chandler Parsons and Derek Favors so that's good and they were able to beat the Nets without him Sixers might be a tougher game but uh, a good point to have to rest him uh as for those Nets, Sean Kilpatrick could be out with a hamstring injury for several games. Uh, Jeremy Lin still on a minutes limit, probably will be for the rest of the season with that hamstring. Uh, so this will be more time for Karis Levert, especially because Joe Harris is also out with an undisclosed shoulder injury. No particular timetable right now, but he's not practicing. So Karis Levert, uh, granted, probably won't play that many minutes because he's coming back from his own foot issues, but uh, he's going to have plenty of chances to run the show and hopefully will continue to look good 
for the Nets. What else we got? The Nuggets dealt with Gallinari and Wilson Chandler missing the game that was played on Saturday against the Rockets, which they still came close to winning. They did they did end up losing, and Kenneth Fareed is, is back, which is good, but they're kind of, de- as we talked about a little bit with the Jazz, like they're dealing with this turnover, and we don't know who's going to be ready and when, as they're battling for a playoff spot. Yeah, they've been starting Plumlee and Jokic together, a lineup that has had a nice net rating. When Plumlee is on the floor by himself, they've been pretty bad uh and i think in that last game like Jokic was plus seven and Plumley was was negative seven kind of Farid at least is back from his ankle injury but i think this underscores a little bit to me i mean gallo and wilson chandler have both missed had multiple little nagging injury stints whether it's ankles muscle injuries soreness and Chandler you remember missed all last year with that hip injury and he's I think struggled with groin injuries on several occasions this year and that's all related certainly your hips hips and uh adductors uh abductors all that stuff is related to to one another and I think this just underscores to me that really the biggest long-term hold the Nuggets have is just like a real prospect with some size at the three and hopefully they're not gonna have to devolve into playing Hernan Gomez there he has held his own okay defensively at the three but I think he's much more effective as a stretch four. Jody Meeks of the Orlando Magic is probably going to start playing on Monday against the Sixers he's been out for a while and Dion Waiters I think this is it could end up being a significant piece of news has an ankle sprain no timetable yet but Miami needs him he's been a wonderful player for them this year. Yeah the no timetable yet but Spo was quoted as saying that it seems similar to that injury where I think he missed two three weeks earlier in the season so it seems like that's kind of what we're talking about here in terms of a timetable this will at least give Josh Richardson more of a chance to get going it's been somewhat of a lost season for him so far as we mentioned he's shooting only 29 percent on threes in the 15 and 60 but Miami will miss this version of waiters he's been outstanding so far uh, for the Pacers Lavoy Allen has been struggling for the last month or so with a knee injury he's missed the last two may return shortly but he's really like the only big that they've played well with uh coming off their bench and the only one i mean they don't have any kind of a backup for he's although he's certainly not ideal in that role he's the only one who can credibly even pretended to guard the other team's fours out on the perimeter among their bench bigs it's a little bit of a roster construction concern for them considering you know the the way that their team is structured but at the same point you know that that is where they are this year last one finally the kings have also moved into tank mode to some degree resting a lot of guys darren Collison just missed wednesday's game to rest a flaw and macklemore missed saturday due to personal reasons you never know whether that's like resting or like real personal reasons uh, really not sure but definitely a lot of guys missing a lot of games Tyreek Evans missed some time over over the weekend uh, appeared to be a healthy scratch uh, at least Malachi Richardson may be back this week from that severe hamstring pull that he suffered over a month ago that's per the Kings TV broadcast. All right, you ready to do uh some fun stuff here? Get to the mailbag. Sure. Yeah, well, there's a lot of a lot of different stuff that we can get through and we'll start with a question. Ah, I hate when it's all consonants. Uh KXNG Eric, will this be the last season that Derrick Rose is a starting point guard in the NBA? So I think we could define that we'll say that will he ever start 41 or more games at point guard again? I'm going to say yes. I mean, the one thing that's been underrated about his season, he's actually has stayed healthy. He stayed healthy last year, really, too, uh, other than just getting clocked in the face. Um, 
So I, I think uh, he's had a couple of small absences. I mean, I think he still can be a starting point guard, especially if he's playing with more of a space floor. He is horrendous defensively at this point, but it's not like the Knicks have some great defensive culture. I think that if he were able to get into a better defensive culture, maybe you could still get something out of him there. Uh, but no, I think he'll uh, be a lower end starter for a while. I mean, he's especially for teams that are more concerned about some of the traditional box score stats he actually has uh scored pretty well this year there are a couple different ways that the point guard roulette can work out that would not be in his favor but my expectation is that at least one team is going to look at him and maybe they they aren't envisioning him as their starter of the future but they're envisioning him as their starter of the present i mean you have to remember that rookie point guards almost always struggle so that could be a possibility as well where he goes to a team that drafts the guy who will eventually take that spot but rose has it for next year i expect that he will start that he will have the opportunity to be the opening day starter on a team next year it's not guaranteed because he can prioritize whatever the heck he wants but i expect it from a guy with an obscene username but he usually asks pretty good questions so we'll say that what are some hidden biases or assumptions that each of you have in analyzing the nba uh he says that it would make more sense if i answer for danny and you answer for me uh and i think we could talk about our own too nothing really comes to mind for for you with me uh, off the top of my head uh what do i suck at (laughs) i i don't i don't think you i don't think you in terms of analysis i don't think there's much there i mean we always get to the we always get to the idea of wanting teams to behave the way that we do but i don't think we i don't think we necessarily kill them for that unfairly at certain points i consider i consider it fair but that can always be a challenge is in, in kind of interpreting that especially in terms of like i'll you i'll use one that kind of applies maybe more to me than you but the idea of using my own player evaluation ahead of all the other information that coaches do in terms of not playing a guy like for anthony morrow for me it was like two years but before I eventually came to grips with the idea of there's a reason that he's not getting played yeah and sometimes though to be fair we're right about that stuff yeah when guys when guys haven't been playing and and they probably should be and also i think we're we're part of the reason that we'll have a divergence from coaches is we'll be more thinking about the long term of the franchise than coaches are necessarily um i think one of my biggest ones is just almost rooting for my own evaluations to be right uh, i think that that's uh, to the extent people always accuse us of being biased in favor of some team and i think i don't know i i try my best to control for this and that when the evidence indicates that I was wrong. We'll actually get to one of those players uh, later on in this mailbag. But when the evidence indicates that my evidence is wrong, I hope to you know to move away from what was wrong analysis but you know if, if i say if for like jalen braun for instance if i was higher on him than a lot of other people were yeah i wouldn't mind actually like having that prediction proved to be correct that's much more i think of where my rooting interest lies these days than for you know oh some certain team to do well necessarily um and it is so, interesting. So that's probably that it. it is interesting also that that's a split between the two of us because while I always enjoy being right, I want everybody to do I want everybody to do well all the time, and I don't I don't really have the, I don't really care that much about if if it's wrong if it's that way. It hurts me a lot if I think a guy's going to be great and then he's disappointing like that. That kind of hurts double. But in the other way, like let's say if Buddy Heald you know really turns it around and or Chris Dunn and has a really nice career, I'll be thrilled. 
absolutely thrilled i guess what i would say maybe for you is that sometimes you let your idea of what would be fun get in the way of like what's actually good basketball like sure. good for a basketball team like like my the one example that comes to mind i actually don't have that many other ones so maybe this is just like a one-off but it's like you actually wanted the kings to draft willie collie stein to play next play and play him next to demarcus Cousins. well i didn't want them to draft i wanted there was somebody i had on the board higher than him that i wanted them to draft but yeah Moutier, i did would it, would Moutier, it, yeah, yeah. But but, but yeah, that, that's an, it. Well, I think it's that I embrace that more. I wouldn't say that I wanted it for that reason, but that's an interesting point. Yeah, I, I can definitely I can definitely see that in myself. So uh, ready to move on? Yeah, to, to another great username here. Uh, Durant has gross hair, says, you guys always talk about how Omri Caspi is undervalued around the league for some reason. And you guys and Tim Bontemps always talk about how if a guy's value is lower than it should be, there's a reason for that. So what do you think is the value for, Cas- was the reason for Caspi's value being so low? Well, there's a little bit more to the theory than than that when usually the implication when there's a reason that it's lower than it should be is that there's some sort of focus or or character concerns with the guy or chemistry concerns certainly no evidence that that's the case for caspi certainly in recent years uh you know i mean i guess the, there's he did carp a little bit about not playing and, and there was some talk maybe that he wanted to be traded but overall it seems to have a good reputation as a teammate i think a lot of it is just bias from that he wasn't that good for a while especially and then he got in better shape and he's a good shooter now i think so i, I don't know what the reason is and, and i think it's just a general still undervaluing of combo forwards who can shoot the ball that just you know caspi doesn't do anything off the dribble and, he, and he's not unbelievable at, as a defender and also there might just be a little bit of like a anti-european bias there as well uh, by coaches that just they don't think he's any good defensively just because you know he's a european white guy and that, that could be part of it too i think those guys are always going to have more of a an uphill climb than american players to prove that they are, are good defenders but i'm not really sure what the reason is why we're higher on him than uh than some guys than the league is but i mean it's it's been the case for a long time i mean he's gotten lower contracts and less playing time than i thought he's deserved for you know really the past three or four years in the immediate there's also one other factor that needs to be mentioned it's that the combination of coaches and gms at this point in the year so we're talking march don't usually have comfort with picking up a guy because they would have had to claim him off waivers who is hurt and who was going going to miss an indeterminate amount of time i think it was four to six weeks was the original t- or four weeks was the original timeline it looks like he might beat that by a little bit and so there are teams that probably would have been helped but they didn't want to tie up a roster spot for a month with caspi and also the idea of you know bird rights on a on a player who you haven't seen yet or anything like that like that's something i think maybe that we value more than than many gms do though i would argue that they should value it more and they made a mistake by not claiming it i will get to more questions in a second but i want to talk to you first about blue apron this week blue apron has a meal that i sadly am not going to get to cook but looks amazing to me salmon piccato with orzo and broccoli i, I love veal and chicken piccata i never had a chance to have salmon piccata before but that's one of my favorite sauces they also have a nice tutorial on their website as well of like how to perform some of the cooking techniques like how to get perfect citrus zest that's one of the things that, that's involved in doing uh this salmon piccata any good blue 
Blue Aprons that you've had lately? Well, I was actually just thinking about one because what part of the fun of Blue Apron is actually picking ahead of time was that there's one with chicken lo mein, which I've actually never made before. So I'm kind of excited about going through a different process there and, and seeing how that's done. Yeah, you can. Uh, Blue Apron is a food delivery service and they'll offer you your choice of a few different meals. So if there's something on there that doesn't look that good to you, you can uh, make sure that you get two or, uh, that week or three that you're really going to like. Uh, it basically brings you all of the ingredients that you need to make delicious home-cooked meals with no food waste at all. Everything is portioned out perfectly. It's about $10 a person, a little bit less than that per meal. And that's really, if we're being honest, to make this type of gourmet food less than it would cost if you're going to go to a high-end grocery store and get the stuff and then you're going to have a bunch of food waste and you just had to spend a minimum of a half hour going to the grocery store so uh, these meals 30 to 45 minutes is really all it takes my girlfriend and i make them all the time it's great to make good home-cooked meals and you get to try a lot of really interesting stuff a lot of flavors from around the globe that you wouldn't get to perhaps otherwise. I, I found that a lot of their Middle Eastern flavors in, in particular are really good. So the way to get started with Blue Apron, go to blueapron.com slash capspace. That'll get you your first three meals free with free shipping at blueapron.com slash capspace. Easy to remember that URL. We talk about capspace all the time on the program. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Ah, shall we continue? Sure. So this username is a bunch I, I wanna, of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. No. So, but the, so I, I wanted you to get this username, like these like unpronounceable usernames. Like you should have to take all those. I think that should be a, tr a tradition here. On yeah. These that's a bags. fair division of labor. Like this is, this has got to be like, what is that? Like 20 digits long, just like a random series yeah. of numbers. <laughs> so, but the, but the question is interesting. And I think, I think we both have, have something to say on it. So if, if Maury D'Antoni, if that combination, if they're smart for having their team, the Rockets take almost exclusively three, and shot it at the rim are other presumably smart organizations like the Spurs, the Warriors, the Celtics making a mistake by taking as many mid-range shots as they do. I don't think so. I mean, Golden State is leading the league in mid percentage for mid-range right now. Houston really has ne other than Harden has never had the personnel of guys who can take mid-range shots when you have guys like Bradley who are good at that Kevin Durant for the Warriors Clay Thompson as well can uh, you, you can ramp up his usage by getting into the mid-range you still have to defend that area so if you're really good for mid-range you can make the argument that you know that also can increase your percentage at the rim or from three if the other team has to guard all the court the Rockets teams and who is good for mid-range other than Harden maybe Lou Williams now uh probably has a little bit of license to do that but then in the, the years before this they really had nothing in terms of of the mid-range as well san antonio very high offensive efficiency with guys like aldridge Pau gasol Kawhi leonard all those guys are mid-range masters and the beauty of the mid-range is especially if it's someone going one-on-one -on -one, and you'll see this with kyrie irving too who is leading the league in mid-range percentage uh shooting like 48 percent you can't stop someone in the mid-range right like it's easier to take away threes and shots at the rim a, a lot of times uh because you have to get guys open pass it to them or you have to blow past your man and then there at least can be help waiting at the rim helping on shots in the mid-range is near 
nearly impossible if he was someone who can go one-on-one especially too you got to remember in the half court your numbers are always going to be lower right so the league probably averages about 0.9 points per possession maybe a little bit more than that in the half court so if you can get a shot that's a 45 percent shot in mid-range you're also going to be turning the ball over less uh when you're going for mid-range jump shots going one-on-one for a mid-range jumper so they're definitely if you have guys who can do that there are many situations in which it really helps uh, to go into the mid-range the problem is just when you've got guys like pick and popping for long twos and they're a 40 percent shooter or you know i mean and a lot of times too mid-range shots are just an indication that your offense is not that healthy because you just have worked on the shot clock you don't have anything and then that's all you can do is take a mid-range too so you definitely want to emphasize threes and shots at the rim as much as possible but the mid-rangers by good players who can score those uh are if not an essential part of a healthy offense a part that certainly can help you if you're good I think back to a piece, I think Ian Levy wrote this like three years ago about the idea that mid-range shots, and this has changed a little bit, the Rockets are challenging this this idea, but that the idea that mid-range shots are basically a part of almost every offense, and one of the differentiators between bad offenses and good ones is whether the players who take those shots are capable of making them. And so LaMarcus Aldridge, Kevin Durant, a lot of the guys that you mentioned, like they can actually fill that role ably. And another element of this also is getting to the free throw line. Like I think that's sometimes the mid-range can be a can kind of be a harbinger of a team that's not being active enough and so can not getting to the line they're not always the same thing but it's another kind of part of the same kind of offensive stagnation thing and so just because i think about the idea of you know everything is good in moderation everything is bad in excess like mid-range shots in excess are a really really bad thing but having a portion of them is a very good thing and i think your your idea of of Kyrie is is astute as well also because it works well in the playoffs and that's part of the reason why Kyrie has been such a reliable postseason performer when he's actually been healthy is because you can't really take that away I mean I don't know that it works well in the playoffs as an overall strategy more more than more than anything necessarily but but I do think it works to the extent that like if you are really hot from there like you there's really just nothing you can do to stop that um I'm still disappointed though that you didn't read out this guy's username and a string of numbers in like a robot voice uh but you know maybe 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 that's oh oh, that's that's my purview yeah maybe maybe i can do that for next time to really uh get the the fans to uh to appreciate that aspect but it's Uh, not binary like if it was binary it'd be more fun with that but but no but let's take a question from royal lake with ricky rubio's current play how does he fit as the wolves as point guard of the future well, he's definitely the best point guard on the roster right now. He has been had more of a chance with Zach Levine out to work with the ball in his hands. I think that that has also been an underrated aspect of why they've played better without Levine. Levine is not a good defensive player at this point either, but the fact that Rubio now has the ball in his hands instead of having to just spot up off the ball nearly as much, gets to run a lot more pick and rolls, get everyone to involved i think has been good and he's still a quality defensive player though i think he's had slipped a little bit earlier in the year i think maybe he's come on more lately in that regard so the question is who's going to be better than him right now he's probably you know if he's the 20th 25th best point guard in the league i mean that's not nothing people talk about it being a point guard heavy league and they are going to have cap space this summer there are some point guards who are on the market that might be a little bit better fit stylistically with some more spot up ability but 
I mean, I, I think he's fine. I wouldn't be in a rush to replace him. I think they have plenty of other needs at the four at, in terms of three and D guys, more spot up shooting. You know, I think he, I see point guard as like, you know, third or fourth on their list of needs. I think it's looking unlikely that Dunn is ever going to be as good as Rubio is right now. Could happen, but probably not. And they'll probably want to at least give him one more year to develop, but they can't just go into next year with the way Dunn has played this year, thinking that he's going to start. So I would actually think it's probably going to be a holding pattern for them at point guard, unless they can sign someone that they just love at point guard this offseason and then maybe look to, to move Rubio. But they've tried to trade him and haven't really gotten anything that sexy for him. I mean, maybe you know a lower end first round pick but there aren't that many teams that need him he doesn't fit in that well as we've talked about so I mean I think he's going to be there for a, a little bit and it's he's not a perfect solution but you know I think I don't think that like he's they're going to be unable to get to the playoffs if he's on their team a couple different things I want to add. One, Rubio's only three and a half years older than Chris Dunn. Happy 23rd birthday, Chris Dunn. Uh, and I think that he can work well if one of the ideas with them is to get the ball out of Andrew Wiggins' hands a little bit because he'll, he'll get better at that. But I, I just think that Wiggins, the offense stagnates a little bit when he's out there and has the ball in his hands a lot, like running pick and rolls through him as opposed oh, absolutely. to Rubio. Yeah. So that can actually kind of keep them out of some of their bad habits in that way. My instinct with Rubio is that they will keep him until they have a better option and the benefit with him is that he's on a reasonable contract so if their incentives change like right now if you trade him for nothing that's a bad thing because you don't have a replacement for him if if they can line up whoever that would be you know drew holiday or whatever i don't think that's the best use of their resources but let's say they do then you can trade rubio for less and it provides more value because you can get because you get the cap space to sign other guys and everything like that so that's a possibility as well but for right now he's their best option and this year they performed well enough especially with this like late kick that I don't think they're going to be able to draft somebody better than him I also I'm not sure they would have anyway considering the Chris Dunn part of it so well and whoever they draft is not going to be better than him next year and for sure really uh, they're getting into a point now where this is going to be the last summer probably that they'll have a chance at cap space Uh, so uh, with the Towns and Wiggins extensions looming so, I mean, they're going to be getting into win now mode next year. And I think that that's the, the right approach. They successfully avoided s- signing bad contracts that are long term this last summer. But I actually wouldn't mind them doing more of that approach at this point in the summer because they're not really going to have more any chance to add to their team aside from that. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Papa Barnes 10. Scouting question. Why is free throw percentage a better indicator than three point percentage when projecting shooting sustainability and whether a a college player's shot translates to the NBA? Well, it just is. I mean, that's just what uh, the regression models and and what the people who are smarter than me that do college projections have found. Uh, But I think if you want to guess what the reason for that is, I I think the biggest one is just that sample sizes are too small in college seasons to really get a, a read on how good a three point shooter. I mean, Justice Winslow shot 40% from three in a college season. Uh, and I think maybe you could just say that free throw shooting, if you're a good free throw shooter, that sh- kind of shows you're more of a natural shooter and that you can eventually extend that out. Now, there have been plenty of good free throw shooters who have been horrible three-point shooters. Uh, certainly, Andre Miller w- would most come to mind on that one. So it's not, certainly isn't a fail safe. I mean, ideally, you would want to have guys who can hit threes. But I think th- the real red flag to me is when a guy, is a really good three-point shooter in a small college sample and then you know is shooting 65 low 70s from the foul line uh you know it's not if he just can't shoot 
uh threes at all or and is a good foul shooter then you're i'm not like oh he's gonna become a great three-point shooter either it's just the opposite that really raises the red flag to me i don't have much to add other than yeah it's it's where the data is and it has been analyzed many points and if it's more accurate of a predictor largely probably because of the sample size issue i'm going to use it all right this will be a good one to end on here before we move on to a part two this is from drop that dirk a dirk Thanks as always for doing this. Uh, and he gave us a bunch of questions to pick from, which is nice. So I picked this one. Rank the following in terms of whom you would most want to build a team around going forward, factoring in injury concerns where relevant. And the six players that he provided, Ben Simmons, Nikola Jokic, Miles Turner, Kristaps Porzingis, Joel Embiid, and Devin Booker. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? Well, I just stopped talking, so I thought you might start then. So I'll, I'll start with a process piece. So I had one guy who I put at the positive end and separated from the group, and one guy at the bottom end I separated from the group. Joel Embiid on the top, just because I am a believer in his defense, and I think he has a pretty high offensive ceiling. So that is a very different thing for his position. You know, like if, if we're talking about building around, I think you have to consider that being the best player on the team, at least long-term, but ideally short-term as well. So Embiid has the pieces. Yes, there are very real injury concerns, but none of the other guys have that same, not only potential, but proven ability. And then Devin Booker's at the bottom, not only because I think he's the worst player of this group, but because what he already does well is the least valuable. He's not a good defender. He doesn't really run an efficient offense. He can convert opportunities himself, and he's a little bit even overrated in that way. So I think those are the top and the bottom. Choosing between the other four is kind of like choosing between children if you actually like them equally, because I love all of these guys for very different reasons. I ended up partially because I don't love, like I don't believe fully in the defense for any of these guys. I ended up putting Porzingis first of that group, so second overall, because I like his offense. It's it's not I don't his I don't think his offensive ceiling is as high as Jokic's because Jokic can distribute in a way that's very special. He's a great passer, but I I trust Porzingis's defense more, and that is a very important part of being a center. So I have Porzingis and then Jokic, and then I still think Ben Simmons has a lot of potential. I don't worry that much about this injury recurring, so I'm going to have him next after those three. And then Miles Turner, who I love. I, I'm a big fan of Miles Turner. I just don't think he he has the ceiling necessarily. The other guys, he can get there, but he's but it's a little less likely. And then Dem Booker last. Yeah, I think we're largely in agreement here. I had Embiid first as well, and certainly. I mean, I, I think, again, with this knee issue, there's at least a 50% chance that he never reaches his potential due to injury. But the NBA, just the way I think, and also just the nature of how to win in this league, that you need superstars, and you just have to take swings to the fences, and Embiid performed at a near superstar level already this season when he was healthy uh, at age 22 i agree with you that he is by far the best defender on this list it could be a game-changing defensive player uh so i still picked him even if you're gonna say that there's a 50 percent chance he doesn't reach his potential uh, i mean I, I definitely think that his median outcome uh could be worse than a lot of guys on this list uh, but just because of the upside that's that's why i like it. he's the only guy that i think of uh, on this list is probably you know, I, I don't want to say probably but he's the most likely person even with the injury concerns to me to be a top 10 player in the league my second was Jokic I think that he is going to be a player it's already become apparent in Denver where if you put 
him on the floor as long as you don't just have no shooting around him you're gonna be a top 10 you know very solid offense just based on him being out there but his athletic and defensive limitations i think you also might be guaranteeing that you're gonna be a bottom 10 defense if you have him out there unless you really have a lot of good defensive talent around him simmons was next uh, despite the fact that I was talking to some Sixers reporters and they said basically every time they've seen him shoot in practice like he still has been like way off like that his jumper is not apparently improved very much uh but just still his size athleticism passing ability i think he could be good defensively uh i like you i'm not as concerned about about the injury I, I had porzingis next i have him slightly above turner that's something that we talked about on the 15 and 60 in the Knicks section the, the reasons for that um and, and then like you i also had booker last just because of the value of his position his defense can he score efficiently create for others all those are some major questions about him so uh Embiid Jokic Simmons Porzingis Turner and Booker was my final thing here and that'll do it for this part one Oh, can I plug we'll something? Be, Sorry. That will not do it for part one. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> I always try to use that as a point of doing it. So I'm in the process of editing, but hopefully we'll have it done by shortly after this editing the second part of the over under review podcast with Arturo Galetti, which is for Real Jam Radio. So I already released the East where we go through, we went through our predictions, what we got right, what we got wrong, and, and then the West. And we have a, a bunch of arguments about the Spurs and the Warriors and the Rockets, which is fun too. So that should be on Real Jam Radio by the time most of you are listening to this. I'm hoping to get it out Sunday night, Monday monday morning and then you know normal material for the athletic as well all right don't forget about our sponsors today blue apron get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash cap space and policy genius a great place to look for life insurance we'll be back with part two of this mailbag that'll drop on monday night only three episodes this week due to the tournament and me traveling but uh we'll make them some good ones for you uh we'll be back tomorrow night till then